HelloFresh has got your family covered with delicious dinners and so much more. Find quick breakfasts, wholesome snacks, and desserts you can bake with the kids. 65% off plus free shipping when you use code MLM65 at hellofresh.com slash MLM65. Do you believe in angels? Well, some polls have shown that about eight in 10 Americans do. Maybe you think they're just watching out for you, protecting you from evil even. Or perhaps you just think of them as strange, otherworldly floating beings up in the sky. For real estate agent, Jennifer Hudson, she not only believed in angels, but was convinced that they walked among us when she met a man named Lou Castro in the summer of 2001. Jennifer had taken on Lou as a client, showing him properties in Wichita, Kansas, but they soon became close friends. She also formed a bond with Patricia, or Trish for short, and her husband, Brian, who were also close friends of Lou. In her journal, Jennifer said that the three of them were so innocent and trusting that it was actually alarming and she wanted to watch out for them. It was almost as if we had some sort of instant bond or connection with my sole purpose being their protector, she wrote. This was not a normal friendship. Jennifer really believed that Lou was an angel and she desperately wanted to be near him. Her daughter, Sarah, even recalls Jennifer telling her family that she didn't like living far away from Lou and wanted to move for the sole purpose of being closer to him. Completely taken in by him, Jennifer divorced her own husband and moved with her two daughters, Sarah and Emily, to live in Lou's community called Angel's Landing. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Angel's Landing was probably a disgusting, filthy place that the girls were forced to work on. Perhaps they slept on the floor in a room the size of a closet. Maybe they only ate one meal a day. It would absolutely have been a downgrade, right? Well, this isn't actually the case. Angel's Landing was actually really nice. It may not have been an estate, but it was a nice property that was supposedly swimming in luxury items. Despite Lou not actually having a job, they all had extravagant lifestyle and material wealth that seemed to come from nowhere. But there was more to it than financial security. Lou also offered eternal security, you know, with being an angel and all. He claimed that he could not only know when someone was going to die, but even stop it from happening. As outlandish and ridiculous as that may sound, Lou had his longtime friend Trish backing him up. Trish vouched that earlier in life, Lou had been sick and died, but he came back. Apparently, she said it with such conviction that followers like Sarah believed her. Sarah, who was only about 16 or so when her mother joined Angel's Landing explained, the women around me that I admired, like my mom and Trish, you know, if you ask them, hey, what do you think of Lou? Do you trust him with everything? They'd say, well, of course, 100%, he's a great guy. He wants nothing but the best for us. And if you would have asked me at that time what I thought of Lou, I would have given you the same answer. We all believed Lou had these powers. So yes, Lou lied about being an angel, but what's the harm? He did what he said and provided for his newfound family, right? So all in all, at least on the surface, things seem fine, blissful even. Their little community carved out a piece of heaven and made it their own. And again, on the surface, things couldn't have been more perfect. That is until people started dying. 
Hello, and welcome to Multi-Level Mondays. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the cult known as Angel's Landing. Although this is no ordinary fraud, seeing as this does involve serious financial scams along with many other horrific crimes, I thought that we could discuss it today. Please note that the rest of this episode is going to discuss death, murder, suicide, and sexual assault. While I am going to refrain from any extremely graphic detail, if these topics are specifically difficult for you, I recommend skipping the episode entirely. For those of you still here, let's continue. Everybody else had an SUV. Um, and then after Trish died, it got more and more and more extravagant. More vehicles, Higher priced vehicles. Salesmen must've been licking their chops to see him coming, huh? They were. We all had the dealership's owner's cell phones. Cell Speed phone dial, number. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Angels Landing. It seemed to be a sweet little like-minded community around people who believed that their leader, Lou, was an angel. Strange, but harmless, yes? Unfortunately, tragedy struck the group when Trish died in the spring of 2003. She hit her head, fell into the pool and drowned. Poor Emily, Jennifer's daughter, was only 11 years old when she called 911 and told them what happened. And this traumatic event shook everybody. And as upsetting as it was, this was clearly just a freak accident. While we may be quick to point fingers at Lou, he wasn't anywhere near the pool at the time, but he was actually at a car dealership with Sarah. Even investigators said that her injuries corroborated Emily's version of events. Detective Ron Goodwin admitted that though he was a bit suspicious at first, he had considered that the commune may be funded by drug money, there was simply no evidence of a crime. Still, it's at this point that Ron decided to keep an eye on Angel's Landing. After running a 50 state check on who Lou Castro was, he came up empty. There was simply nothing. Even back in 2003, a person that has no paper trail is very unusual, he said. Ron wanted to know more, but he was left in the dark. As time wore on, Brian, Trisha's husband, was naturally the most affected by her death and who could blame him? Lou was supposed to be an angel. He should have been able to not only predict this, but prevent it. And even if he couldn't prevent it, that he could bring Trisha back to life, but he didn't do that. Instead, Sarah explains that Lou told his followers going to the other side was the ultimate goal. And he started talking about death more and more. Perhaps in a desperate act to join his wife or in another freak accident, Brian died in 2006 when a car he was working on fell on him. The jack slipped and Brian, who was normally so safety conscious, became the second death Angel's Landing faced in just under three years. Can lightning strike the same commune twice? Sure, it's possible. But things seemed so incredibly off about the whole thing. Brian was so cautious, this wasn't like him. Former members of the community, like Jennifer's new boyfriend, David Queering, insisted that it didn't make any sense. Experienced mechanics like Brian know how to secure a vehicle. So did he intentionally kill himself this way? One day he called and he spoke to Lou for a little while. And then he asked to speak to his daughter who was still in Wichita. And the story goes that he told her goodbye. Told his daughter goodbye. Right. He knew his way around a vehicle. Right. Ron started taking a closer look at the case again, believing that Lou was either very unlucky to have his friends die in such brutal accidents, or that he was involved in making it happen. As he dug deeper, he found something important, motive. Trisha had a $1.2 million life insurance policy. 
And when she passed, it went to Brian. When Brian died, all his money, presumably including what he received from Trisha's death, went to Angel's Landing. That's how they afforded to live their extravagant lifestyles. Every so often, it seemed like Lou would just convince a member of his cult to take their own lives to fund his luxurious tastes. And Jennifer was next. Lou told Sarah that her mother had to die. As a testament to how indoctrinated she was, Sarah pleaded with Lou to pick someone else. Personally, this speaks volumes to me. Sarah doesn't claim that she went to police, reported him, or was horrified by his actions. Instead, she simply asked that he choose a different person to die. Stopping Lou was not actually an option. And so in 2008, Jennifer too became the next freak accident to hit Angel's Landing. While driving, she hit a truck head on, dying on impact. Those around her said that Jennifer must have seen the truck and it made no sense how she just steered directly into it like that. But how do you prove that Lou was behind this? Ron was desperate. He even followed Lou to a diner and asked waitstaff for his silverware, only for his fingerprints to be unusable. See, actually proving that Lou was doing this was pretty much impossible. Ron knew that it may only be a matter of time before someone else died at Angel's Landing. And when Jennifer passed away, he was certain that Lou was convincing his followers to kill themselves. It certainly wouldn't be the first time a cult leader has asked of this. In one more last ditch attempt to figure out who Lou was, Ron printed out glossy photos for Lou to identify, hoping that he could pull his fingerprints that way. But Lou was not fooled and handed them with his fingernails, shifting them around his pool table. At that moment, Ron claims that he could tell Lou was aware they were trying to catch him. It was eerie, the unspoken tension and awareness in the room. Both men knew what the other was really up to, but they kept their poker faces on. Ron's investigation was floundering and Lou, it seemed, was running out of followers to manipulate. He fled to Tennessee, taking Emily with him, but leaving Sarah behind. He slipped through law enforcement's fingers for now. Now, this is the story that's most often told about Angel's Landing. Though there are a few more details about what went on behind closed doors that we'll address in just a moment, this is what most articles and shows seem to focus on, the horrible way in which Lou puppeted his followers. However, it's not as if this was the first time Lou's been doing this. What about his resurrection? Why were Trish and Brian so loyal to him? And where did the money that funded Angel's Landing before Trish's death came from? Once I read about and watched Lou's acts, I wanted the answers to these questions. And thankfully, I found them. Now let's jump back in time a bit to 1996. Before Lou was Lou, his name was Daniel Perez. Daniel met Trish and they began a sexual relationship together, though it's not clear how long it lasted. As we know, Trish later ended up marrying Brian, but the two remained close friends. Between the mid nineties to somewhere around April, 1996, Daniel became interested in a different woman named Marilyn. According to legal documents, Daniel let Marilyn, her son and her 14 year old daughter stay with him for a little while, but don't praise him for his generosity just yet. While the family of three stayed over, Daniel raped her daughter, Michelle, multiple times. Marilyn tried to file charges against him and Daniel supposedly even pled guilty, but the charges didn't stick. And why you might ask? 
Well, because Daniel died. Apparently on his way to sentencing, four uniformed men beat him and left him for dead in either Texas or Mexico. And in my opinion, when Daniel boasted to his followers about how he died, but brought himself back to life, this is likely the moment he was actually speaking of, unless there's some other near-death experience in Daniel's life that took place before 1996 that we aren't aware of, then this must be the moment Daniel went from being a disgusting, vile person preying upon teenage girls to a disgusting, vile person preying upon teenage girls and a cult leader. Fast forward a few months and Daniel was telling people he had powers to receive information from the other side. He met a 15 year old that is only identified as KL in case documents and began a sexual relationship with them. Though that's the phrasing used here, minors can't consent. Therefore, no matter how difficult it is to hear, let's call this what it was. Daniel was raping KL. It does seem like he was caught for this, or perhaps authorities simply realized he was the same man that had raped Michelle as he hadn't changed his name yet. Either way, about three months into meeting KL, Daniel was deported to Mexico. The two stayed in touch over the phone and a short while later, he returned to the United States, Texas to be more specific. This time, Daniel shed his identity and called himself Lou Castro, the name he'd soon use for Angel's Landing. He met up with Trish along with another small family in his apartment complex, Mona, her daughter, Lindsay, and her son, Cody. Though Cody ended up staying in Texas, the rest of them moved to Wichita where KL was waiting for them. This is how the cult, how Angel's Landing truly began. As far as I can tell, these are the original members. And while it may seem like this commune had an innocent start, at least based on initial findings, Loose actions have always been rooted in manipulation and child sex abuse. So the question remains, why haven't we heard much about them? Mona hasn't even been mentioned as part of the story. Sarah and Ron don't really discuss her in the Deadly Cults episode that I found on Angel's Landing. Tragically, this is because Mona may have been one of Lou's first victims, one of the very first accidental deaths. Around that time, Mona bought a $750,000 life insurance policy, listing her daughter as the beneficiary and Trish as her daughter's caregiver. She went on a trip with her daughter and fiance, Jim, but the plane mysteriously went missing. The insurance agency didn't pay out right away, but once the plane was discovered and the death certificates were issued, Trish received a hefty sum of money. The same Trish that lured Jennifer and her family to Angel's Landing. It's through Mona that Danielle Perez actually got the name Lou Castro. Case documents from court listener reveal that this was Mona's brother's name and Perez simply adopted it after reading Lou's obituary online. Now, I don't know how much Trish actually knew if she was actually aware of Lou's plan or not, but whether an unwitting piece of his plan or an accomplice, Lou used her to line his pockets. I don't know for sure how the commune was purchased and I truly don't want to make assumptions here. However, if Lou didn't have a job, then it seems likely that the money from Mona's death may have funded their home in Wichita. Strangely enough, KL and Trisha's baby are also not really mentioned in the Deadly Cults episode about Angel's Landing. And if I had to guess, it seems like both of them wish to remain anonymous as I only see them discussed in case documents. In fact, there are very, very few sources that talk about this cult at all. It was small with only Jennifer, her two daughters, KL, Trish, Brian, and their baby living at Angel's Landing in 2002. Still, 
Despite the small number of members, the impact Lou had on their lives was massive and in the worst possible ways. Now we're gonna move forward a little bit in time to 2008 and 2009. Jennifer had just driven into a truck and Lou Castro, really Daniel Perez, fled to Tennessee with Jennifer's daughter, Emily, while Sarah stayed behind. Although detectives wanted to catch him, at this point, they still didn't have much. They didn't even know he was Daniel at this time. Sarah, who was 24 years old at this point, said she was on her own for the first time in years. Finally, since 2002, she could be herself. She could go to clubs with friends and she wasn't being controlled by Lou. I can't even imagine how freeing that must've been, especially after that kind of restriction. Sarah not only opened up, but she even began dating a man named Daniel McGrath, but it wasn't a simple happily ever after. She was still in touch with Lou and a couple of months into their relationship, Daniel witnessed how horribly Lou treated her. One day when Lou was screaming at Sarah over the phone, Daniel told her to simply hang up the call. Daniel even went so far as to take the phone from her, tell Lou to never contact her again and hung up on Lou himself. Though this might've been the end of it, Daniel was suspicious of their relationship and downright asked Sarah if she had been sexually abused by Lou. Sarah explained that it was, at that moment it clicked that I had been raped for so many years. See. Sarah hadn't even realized what Lou had done to her, that it was rape. All along while living at Angel's Landing, Lou told Sarah and her sister that he was fixing them. He endlessly repeated that they were broken and without the help of an angel, they'd never be able to get married and have families of their own. His reasoning might sound ridiculous on the outside, but looking in at Sarah, who was only 17 when the abuse started, she genuinely believed she must have been broken in some way. After all, Lou was supposedly this angel, this powerful man that her mother and all the women in her life looked up to. Why would he steer her wrong? The case files go into even more detail, stating that Lou actually insisted Emily move into the master bedroom with him when she was only 10 years old. Emily later testified that Lou told her she needed to share his bed because he needed a pure person, meaning a young female virgin to take care of him or he would die. He was hundreds or thousands of years old. He could see the future. He said that for a seer, he needed a pure little girl to have sex with him so that he could survive. I was 10 and I was in his bed every night. All three of the girls, KL, Emily, and Sarah were minors at some point in time when Lou raped them. He also would insist that they perform sexual acts on each other, tell them he would kill them if he wanted to, and waved his gun around, even firing shots when demanding they undress. I don't wanna get into any more graphic detail as it is truly sickening, but I think you get the general idea that things were not okay. In the sex offender registry, it's clear that Lou has continually preyed upon teens and children. His youngest victim was only eight years old, though they are not named. So let me make this clear. Lou was no fucking angel. He was a devil and he always had been. When Sarah finally realized what had happened to her, how not okay any of this was, she was devastated. Her boyfriend, Daniel, was not only infuriated on her behalf, but he was spurred on to act. See. Thanks to Lou still calling Sarah and chatting freely with her, Daniel had some pretty invaluable information that he could just, you know, give to authorities. For example, Lou's new name that he was using in Tennessee, Joe Venegas. 
This breakthrough and this incredible smoking gun was finally what Ron needed to start hunting Joe, AKA Lou, AKA Daniel Perez. With this new name, Ron began looking into bank accounts and was able to get his hands on video footage of Lou opening a bank account under a false identity. Finally, there was footage of Lou committing a federal crime and it was in his hands. It may not be the worst thing Lou ever did, but it was a crime that they could put him away for. Well, for two years anyway. Before we continue on to talk about how Lou was finally imprisoned, I'm gonna take a quick moment to place today's sponsors right here because there's really no other place for them. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist, which surprise, there is not one. Because seriously, Mint Mobile just has premium wireless from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions for streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. There is literally none of that. I'm sure all of us have had bad experiences with mobile carriers, myself included. I literally had a carrier that I canceled and for like three to six months after canceling, they kept trying to bill me and then even attempted to send me to collections. And it took me getting a lawyer to finally stop and let them leave me alone and stop fucking up my credit. Mint Mobile does none of that. It's simple. You pay for what you want, don't pay for what you don't want and go about your day. So for anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless at just 15 bucks a month. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts, or you can get new everything, which is kind of what I did. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash MLM. That's mintmobile.com slash MLM. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash MLM. Now that the holiday season is pretty much upon us, it's time to think about our waste because each year Americans throw away 25% more trash between Thanksgiving to New Year's. So what if I told you there was a way to get all your holiday shopping done without feeling guilty over the waste that typically comes with it? Well, meet Blueland because Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet. And this holiday season, Blueland is having its best sale of the year, so you can save and shop sustainably for your friends, family, and of course, yourself. The idea is simple. Grab one of the beautiful Forever bottles, fill it with warm water, drop in a tablet, and get cleaning. And those refills start at just $2, so you don't have to buy a new plastic bottle every time you run out. Blueland has absolutely revolutionized the way I clean my house, but in particular, it's really helped with my laundry. Their laundry is strong, but it's unscented, which is great because I have a reaction to certain scents and certain like fabric softeners and stuff like that. And by the way, their wool balls, they have like this cute little kit for like all of your laundry. And it comes with like this, like three pack of wool balls or something like that. One of the best things I've ever used in my dryer. I absolutely love them and I can't get enough. So it's time to take advantage of the best sale of the year. Make sure you go to blueland.com slash MLM. You won't want to miss this at blueland.com slash MLM. Again, blueland.com slash MLM. Bank fraud may be a federal crime, but it's not as if Ron could put Lou away for a lifetime. In 2010, when Lou was arrested for bank fraud, the clock started ticking. Authorities had two years to nail him for the rest of his crimes. Otherwise, he'd be a free man. 
as you can imagine, actually trying to prove that Lou had convinced anyone to commit suicide was an insurmountable task. But hope was not lost because not all of the freak accidents that occurred at Angel's Landing were suicides after all. Years later and free from Lou's grip, Emily revealed a bombshell. Trish did not die by accident, Lou killed her. Emily's phone call to paramedics and first responders about Trish falling into the pool and her desperate attempt to pull Trish out had all been a lie. What actually happened was far more sinister. Emily claimed that Lou premeditated the murder and asked her to be his accomplice. While Sarah went to a car dealership to wait for him, Lou told Emily to stay in the pool house. A few minutes later, there was a splash and a scream, the sound of Lou hitting Trish on the head and her falling into the water. Lou left, heading into that dealership so Sarah could be his alibi. And he had instructed Emily to call the police 20 minutes after he left. She was only 11 years old at the time and Lou was forcing her to take part in a murder scheme. There are so many things wrong with this that I don't even think I could begin to scratch the surface if I tried to explain it. What I will say though, is that Lou truly proved he had absolutely no boundaries whatsoever. He raped children. He made them part of his scheme to live in luxury while pretending to be an angel. Then he told these sisters that their mother had to die and convinced her to commit suicide, which for legal reasons, the last one is alleged. I know that Lou isn't the most well-known cult leader that I've ever talked about. And there are others that have even convinced groups of people to take their lives like Heaven's Gate and Jonestown. Though I know Jonestown, there's a fair amount of coercion as well. But there's something about Lou in particular that I find so especially upsetting. From what I can tell, Lou truly flew under the radar and operated in the dark. He didn't just use a spiritual belief to lord over his followers, but he treated them as disposable objects that he could trade in for cash when his bank account was low. And he even used their children for his own sick gratification. Plus, while finding any reputable sources that talked about Angel's Landing, it was difficult because it seems that Lou wanted it that way. His goal was not necessarily to attract massive congregations, but Lou kept a small group of people extremely close to him and ensured that they were loyal enough to do anything for him, including die for him. Lou basically just made enough off of their payouts to keep living in luxury. And had it not been for Ron's determination and Daniel McGrath speaking out, I doubt he would have actually been caught or at least not for a while longer. Lou completely altered the lives of those he came in contact with, taking away a mother from her children, tearing families apart and inflicting trauma on kids that he brainwashed. I can't imagine the pain those left behind to deal with this tragedy and how they must feel, how difficult it was for Sarah and Emily to testify against him. Sarah explained that she had to be physically led to the stand. And even then she collapsed and hyperventilated in the courtroom. Thankfully, as Lou's followers turned against him during his trial in 2015, the jury saw him for the monster he truly was. Multiple witnesses testified and corroborated everything, even going as far back as 1996. KL said that Mona died in a plane crash and one of Lou's friends said that yes, Lou had profited from it in some capacity. Insurance agents, Trisha's mother, Ron Goodwin, and even more came out of the woodwork to expose him. Even Lou himself admitted that he had been a jet mechanic in the Navy years earlier, seemingly only further sowing doubt about every single accident that just so happened to occur in his proximity. 
Medical experts that took a second look at Trisha's case also ruled that it simply could not have been an accident. She had bruises on the back of her head that were indicative of grip marks from behind. Plus, if she had actually fallen in, it seemed like there would have been far more bruises and injuries aside from the relatively minor but impactful ones to her head. Further evidence actually suggests that he even held Trisha's head underwater until she died, brutally murdering someone that believed in him the most. And it was all for an insurance payout scheme. A jury finds Daniel Perez guilty of all charges against him. Including the murder of Patricia Hughes back in the summer of 2003. Cakes Lily Wu live in, in downtown. In the end, Lou was, was found guilty of 28 felony counts, including rape, assault, and the murder of Trisha Hughes. Brian and Jennifer's deaths are still classified as accidental. Even if I personally agree with those that say that this was brainwashing, forcing someone to take their own life and a completely purposeful act. Daniel Perez, though perhaps more known as Lou Castro, was sentenced to 80 years in prison, but that doesn't feel like it's enough. The way he took advantage of people and used everyone around him to get what he wanted is especially disturbing. My heart goes out to those who were affected, but especially to Sarah, to Emily, and to KL, whoever they may be and wherever they are. I hope they can begin to heal from the headache, even if nothing will ever bring back those years, or Sarah or Emily's mother. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's quite disturbing episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you learned something new here. If you did, you're welcome. I don't know if it's really something you wanted to learn, but it's just to show that fraud and scams can come in all sorts of forms, but especially and sometimes particularly with cults. So thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it. And I will see you in the next one. Bye.